1: Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Y'all, got that y'all dramatic pause. Today is an interview I did with um, Ashley C. Ford about her new memoir, Somebody's Daughter, and y'all. When I say I loved this book, I mean I loved this book. I was like highlighting things my copy and like writing notes and just it's it's so good I, I can't even tell you how good this book is like w- words do not describe it you have to read it you know because it is so good and I don't want to like diminish how good Ashley's book is by like trying to put my own words on it when you should just go read her words in her memoir somebody's daughter so Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this interview. I am so excited for y'all to listen to it and to go read her book. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think we have anything going on. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So that's all I got for y'all. So I hope you all enjoy this interview I did with Ashley C. Ford on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and my guest today is Ashley C. Ford. Ashley is a podcaster and essayist, and she has written or guest edited for The Guardian, L. BuzzFeed, Out Magazine, Slate, Teen Vogue, Mary Claire, The New York Times, and various other web and print publications. She's taught creative nonfiction writing at the New School and Catapult, and has had her work um, listed among Long Form and Long Read's Best of 2017. She has been named among Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30 in Media, Brooklyn Magazine's Brooklyn 100, Time Out New York's New Yorkers of the Year, and Variety's New Power of New York. Her much-anticipated memoir, which is fantastic, Somebody's Daughter, is out now. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you
0: so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you. It's, it's a good day.
1: It is a good day. Yeah, we are recording this on... Um, pub day and it's it's a big day for you. Yes. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Somebody's Daughter?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Somebody's Daughter is a coming-of-age memoir uh, about my girlhood growing up in Indiana uh, with an incarcerated father and a single parent uh, for a mother. And it sort of is, I think in a lot of ways, just a story trying to help people understand that children are real people (laughs) and that we remember things and we feel things deeply. And we become the adults who will be entrusted with caring for this world. And so we need to be paying attention to how we're setting that foundation not just in families and communities, uh, but globally.
1: Uh, yeah, I want to, you know, you mentioned that, you know, children, they do remember things. And one of the things that struck me most about this book is you seemed to remember things so clearly and, Mm -hmm. um, are able to communicate that to readers. And I'm just, You know, I know you talk in the book about how some of these things you had started to write about, but how, how did you manage to remember things like just so clearly? You know, I
0: think because I was a kid of obviously the nineties, I was born in 1987. um, So much of the media I consumed in books and in television if you really think back to that time, what was popular and widely available in uh, mainstream culture, it was about adults who needed to either reclaim or reconnect with their child selves in order to have or maintain a connection to a sense of, of magic or, or purpose or, or love in the world. And I think because I consumed so much of that media (laughs) as a kid, it was always really important to me that I did not forget Mm -hmm. what it felt like to be a child and Mm -hmm. that I didn't forget the moments that, that excited me or, or hurt me or anything like that. Because to be perfectly honest, it seemed like quite often the adults who were not there for me in the way I needed or who harmed me had broken that connection with their Mm. own child selves. It was as if to me, they no longer remembered what it was like to be a kid, And I didn't wanna be that kind of adult. I wanted to be the kind of adult who saw children as people. And I guess I figured that the only way to do that would be to remember How much of a person I really was, even at those small ages.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, because you you do talk about um, the media, you know, that you were consuming at the time. And as someone born in 1981, I was like, oh, this all feels very familiar to me. Yes,
0: (laughs) you know what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) I was recently talking to someone, and I brought up, you know, the movie Hook with Robin Williams.
1: I love that movie. Yep.
0: And he couldn't eat, he couldn't survive, yeah. in never, Neverland until he remembered that Peter Pan was inside him. He had to remember who he had been then. That was the danger of leaving Never, Neverland. was not necessarily forgetting the magic. it was forgetting you.
1: Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah. Yeah. I know, you know, I'm someone who, um, I, I will say that when I was, I was reading the book, I started highlighting and like underlining passages, um, specifically when you were talking about your relationship with your mom, because Mm
0: -hmm.
1: mine was not, um, the same degree, but there was a lot of things I, I definitely, um, that resonated with me. And Mm -hmm. I look around my office and I've, I've noticed now that I'm like, nearing 40 that I have a lot of things, um, like tchotchkes and little reminders of childhood. And I think it's because I felt like when I was a kid, my mom wasn't necessarily there for me the way I needed her to be. And I didn't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't like be that kid that I wanted to be. And so now that yes. I'm older, <laughs> I have like you walk into my office, it probably looks like, I mean, I got like a million Funko pops here. Cause it probably looks, and a lot of them are from stuff from the eighties and the nineties from when I was growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I usually am not one to, to like highlight or underline books, but yours, uh, I definitely, there were moments where I was like, Oh, this, I get this. I feel this. Thank
0: you. That means a (laughs) lot to me. That means so much to me. It really does because, you know, reading a book is one thing, but feeling compelled to engage with it, I think is uh, a completely other level of compliment. Like, so to tell me that you highlighted and, you know, underline things, like to me, that, that is a massive, massive compliment because it just means you felt it, you know? And yeah. whether people like it or don't like it or love it or don't love it or whatever, if it makes them feel something, to me, that's a win. That's, yeah. that's the kind of writing I'm trying to do.
1: Um, I know you know, in the book, I mentioned you talk about this moment years ago when you started to turn to writing as a means of working through some of the things and processing some of the events. In um, that way, this sort of feels like, at least to me as a reader, that this is kind of a book you've spent most of your life working towards. Oh, yeah. That is
0: absolutely true, (laughs) that is absolutely (laughs) true. I mean, even on the most basic level, I've been writing parts of this book have existed for 10 years or more, you know? um, That's how long I've been writing some of this stuff and working on some of this text. And even before then, you know, I journaled off and on for years. And I think it was because right, like I, I sometimes don't want to give the act of writing the credit it deserves um, in, uh, <laughs> in the maintaining of my mental health. But mm-hmm. if I'm honest with myself and I look back, it's always been something I turned to in order to process <laughs> my emotions and what was happening with me.
1: Yeah, I'm... I'm also one of those people who I have journals going back to college and um, you know, for me, journaling is always that place where I go where it's stuff that my journals are kind of depressing and dark because it's that stuff I don't want inside of me. I need it out mm-hmm. somewhere else. And so it all goes into my journals uh, and it's, it's hard, you know, going back and reading them then because I'm writing in the moment of those feelings, which are not great. Um, They get Mm -hmm. pretty dark at points and it's, it's just, it's challenging to go back. And I, I can't really imagine, you know, you in the book, there are some really difficult moments that happen. Mm -hmm. um, And I, I can't even imagine what that was like to try and, you know, either relive them to rewrite them or just writing them.
0: Um, it was really hard. I, I had to do a lot of work to take care of myself mentally and emotionally during the time that I've been writing this book. Um, there's been a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of, um, I would say, big shifts in my general personality, especially when it comes to things like asking people for help something that you know five years i would have rather died and now i more much more quickly ask people for help when i need it um because i've just learned that not only am i worthy of that but that's just part of being human i'm not going to get out of that nobody is going to get out of having to ask other people for help sometimes it's just not feasible yeah. <laughs> it's not feasible to do it and be a human being. And so I I have learned to acquiesce control in that sense. I've learned to check in with myself, with my body when I'm in an emotional state. And that all took training. <laughs> you know, I think about that a lot. There's so many people I think who are going to read my book and see some of their experiences reflected back to them. And they won't be the people who have necessarily received the kind of training I've received to help me regulate Mm -hmm. my emotions and continue to feel safe. And that makes me really sad sometimes. Like, it makes me really sad that not everybody will, does get the chance to heal and to learn how to heal.
1: Yeah, it's definitely... um... It's a learning process and yeah, finding those, um, like you said, checking in with your body and just sort of checking in with yourself, that's it's hard. And if you don't have, you know, anyone in your life, whether it's a friend or a therapist, um, to kind of teach you that, yeah, it's hard, but you know, it's maybe, really they'll, maybe they will take away something from your book, um, to help help. I hope if nothing else they just go
0: oh so maybe if I just try again tomorrow yeah maybe if I just try again tomorrow it'll be okay maybe not even like it'll be okay but maybe I'll just make it through tomorrow and maybe that's enough like maybe it's just enough that I'll get to the other side and that I have no idea where my life can go and where I can end up um It's not going to be enough for everybody, but, you know, for the people who that's the kind of thing that they need and they want, like, I, I hope I give them some sense that that is, that's available to them. And I hope that, you know, we're making a world that makes it more available to them, more easily available.
1: Yes. Yeah. That is one of the challenges added on to everything else is just access to resources is not available to everybody. Um, and we, you know, we definitely need to work towards making, um, therapy or medication if somebody wants it or any of those, you know, tools, there needs to be more access.
0: I absolutely
1: agree. And that's something
0: that's very important to me. That's something that I want to see more of in the world. I can't help, you know, but think of how much of the, how many of the things that people will read in this book and think to themselves, that's terrible. That should never happen to a person. How many of those things might have been avoided had Mm. there been more or more easily accessible resources for the people in my family and myself to just have some time and some room and some practice healing.
1: And now we'll take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. 2020 challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in the easy-to-use app. Headspace is the, one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Me, I sometimes have trouble falling asleep, and I love their wind-down sessions. They also have morning meditations that parents can do with their kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase the overall sense of your well-being. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com pbn. That's headspace.com slash PBN for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash PBN today. Yeah, because I know you you, you know, you had said about how a lot of the adults um, maybe had sort of forgotten what it was like to be a child and sort of forgot their child self. And so I think this book in a lot of ways is an examination of intergenerational trauma and how that gets passed down generation to generation. And it's sort of on the younger generation to try and, and, fix it as much as possible or at least try and minimize it
0: yeah or make sense of it
1: yeah
0: (laughs) on their own yeah you know which is it's it's wild to be a young person trying to make sense of adult trauma as you experience it um and while often being unable or or just not allowed to talk about it yeah like you're not allowed to talk about it, which puts you in this silo of very easily believing that it's only you, mm-hmm. it's only your family that's like this, that does this, that behaves this way, and that is never true. <laughs> it's just never true. There are too there are too many human beings walking around on the earth right now for that to be true. It's just not the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think we're at a point where, um, you know, those young Gen Z kids, uh, you know, like people are more open about talking about that in a way that is actually really kind of, um it's it's nice and open to nice it sort of minimizes it but to see people being open about what is happening and finding that community in a way that I didn't have and you didn't have to find those people right. are like yeah like you understand you've been here too
0: right and you're right it's it's not nice it's kind yeah. It's kind because nice is about presentation. Yes. Nice is a performance. Kindness is about the truth. And I think that that's what, you know, these younger generations are more committed to than, uh, then <laughs> I think <laughs> the rest of us are even ready for,
1: Yeah, you
0: know, is the truth. And I think that I I think that that's where real kindness lies is in the truth. Because kindness is not, you know, about somebody feeling good about, you know, what you've done. Kindness is about doing something outside of like your own benefit, even though that doesn't really make sense because anytime you do something for anybody's benefit, it's for everybody's benefit. But anyway. I do think that kindness is more about telling the truth in a way that is compassionate and that is actually intended to be helpful. Mm. And I think Generation Z is really, really good at kindness. Um, And I think that they are a lot more bold about calling out niceness parading itself as kindness when they see it yes
1: yeah yeah I think you're right yeah and I think I like the way you broke down kindness versus niceness because it's one of those things where like intellectually I can I, I understand the difference and can see the difference but you articulated it in a very good way
0: thank you I appreciate that
1: Um, If you don't mind my asking, what is your relationship with your family like now? I mean, it's good.
0: I uh, don't have any issues or, you know, beef, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) with anybody in my family. I uh, talk to my siblings pretty often. Um, But, you know, we're all millennials. So it's a lot of social media (laughs) um, talking to each other through like, Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that um though me and my sister do talk on the phone uh pretty often which to her being on FaceTime this is we're only six years apart in age but even that sometimes feels huge generationally because every phone call for her is a FaceTime Mm -hmm. like she only FaceTimes me and I'm like what is happening just call me (laughs) what is this
1: that's funny Um,
0: (laughs) yeah um my my relationship with my dad is you know growing as we Mm -hmm. get to know each other um we talk to each other often he's a great guy um love him a lot i talk to my mom uh, about just as often as my dad um love her she's doing well it's just everybody right now is doing really well I think that honestly like everybody in my family right now is just really happy and that makes me happy I love it when they're happy
1: yeah yeah my sister I have a younger sister she's um she's five and a half years four and a half years oh god i can't even do math um she's (laughs) roughly five years younger than me we'll do that and uh yeah so she's closer to your age i'm i'm one of those like older millennials i'm like a geriatric millennial um and she also like but she also is like a facetime person and i i'm like why first we like (laughs) never call each other on the phone but she always facetimes me which uh, yes i'm sort of like okay why could you you could just text me (laughs) i (laughs) don't
0: understand (laughs) <laughs> it's wild it's so I don't But yeah, not understand it
1: I mean but it's it's funny like I do I have different threads with her I have like a tech thread I have an Instagram thread with her I actually have two because like she'll Instagram me from her like business Instagram account and we never talk <laughs> See? on the phone <laughs> <laughs> See?
0: yeah it's just it's a different and the thing is I feel really close to my sister you know <laughs> and my like I don't I don't feel like you know like some people be like how do you feel close to somebody that you only like yeah text or something I'm like I don't know I guess it's just because I've known her her whole life <laughs> I- <laughs> maybe that's it <laughs> maybe
1: yeah no it's I think that's actually interesting to think about because I have a lot of friends you know like our age and we don't we're not really phone people and yep. so all we do is text I have a friend who through, I mean, like, you know, before the pandemic we would hang out. Um, but throughout this whole pandemic, our entire friendship has been just texting memes to each other. And yet somehow that is enough. And yeah, I don't like it hasn't I, I know her so well and our friendship has such a solid foundation that we can go like weeks without talking and then we'll just send each other a meme and it's like no time has passed. Yes.
0: And those are some of my favorite kinds of relationships and friendships because it's just like we're able to match energy um, in a really seamless way. And there's a level, there's always like this level of comfort Mm -hmm. where it's just like, yeah, like we are in a rhythm and I love the rhythm that we're in. And, you know, I feel like that about my best friend, like, you know, Me and my best friend, Ashley, um, yes, her name is also Ashley. Uh, (laughs) We've been best friends since we were 14. And, you know, we haven't lived in the same city since we were 18. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: She's my best friend. Like, that has been a thing maintained, you know, across the years. Yeah. And I think that, like, so much of that has been because we just allowed each other our humanity. We allowed, we allowed each other the time to just be like, yeah, we haven't talked in a while, but it doesn't have to be weird when we start talking again. And I'm not going to do the thing where I'm going to be like, well, I, I didn't hear from you or I don't know what's going on. And I'm also not going to do the thing where I text you all day. And if I don't hear back, then I'm going to think you're mad at me. It's like, I, I, I can't have that. Like, I can't do that. Like, I need people who understand that, like, we just need to be able to connect when we connect. If you need more than that, then communicate that to me. But otherwise, let's just find our rhythm and let's just vibe.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's, that's very true. And it can be different with different friends and yeah, it's great. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ashley, I've had so much fun talking to you. Um, I just have one question left, which is what do you hope readers take away from reading somebody's daughter? I hope they take away
0: that every child is an opportunity To have another person grow up in a way that they feel loved and feel safe and want that for everybody else. That's what I want.
1: That's a great answer. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ashley.
0: Thank you for having me.